Episode 185 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks with a 30-day free trial ready to go just for you. Go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. The only reason that people are coming to our website, the only reason that people are walking through our retail door, the only reason that people are calling us is because we solve a problem and we've got to define what that problem is. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, I'm glad you are here. You have found the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where in addition to leadership and personal growth, we dig into topics like business, career, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. And it's sort of sales and marketing getting the emphasis today as you and I are going to be joined by Donald Miller, New York Times best-selling author, Donald Miller. He's also the author of a brand new book out this month called Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen. I'll be asking Don to share what a story brand is and why this process works, how to use these seven elements of great storytelling to grow your business, the importance of helping your customer achieve what's called identity transformation, and much, much more. Well, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know I've been telling the story of how FreshBooks can help you be more successful in your business. You're the hero of your business FreshBooks is the guide, the Obi-Wan, the Yoda that comes along. I'm trying to incorporate these concepts from Donald. We'll learn more about in just a moment. FreshBooks comes alongside you and makes conducting business, especially the accounting side, a whole lot simpler. And my business, for one, couldn't survive without it. If, if that whole process for you is a headache like it once was for me, I cannot recommend FreshBooks more. You need to check it out right now. And here's the cool part. There is absolutely no obligation for you to do so. You can come in and try FreshBooks free for 30 days and get access to all their features, no credit card even required, and try it out and see if you like it. If you do, you keep going. If you don't, you stop. It's that simple. I can't imagine you wouldn't keep going. But either way, just for trying it out, you, you help the podcast. You let FreshBooks know that their advertising is working. So that's also a good thing. Again, it's free to try for 30 days. And to do that right now, you just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. And then be sure and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I hope you'll take advantage of that free trial. Again, no obligation. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Donald Miller helps leaders grow their businesses at storybrand.com to the tune of about 3,000 leaders a year. Last time I checked, Uh, Don's thoughts on story have uh, deeply influenced leaders and teams for Pantene, uh, Chick-fil-A, Steelcase, Intel, Prime Lending, Zaxby's, and thousands more love me some Zaxby's. Uh, He is the author of uh, several books, including the bestsellers Blue Like Jazz, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and Scary Close among them. And those books have spent a collective year plus on the New York Times bestsellers list. He lives out 
outside Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Betsy, and their chocolate lab, Lucy. By the way, Fritz, Frank, and Charlie say hello. <laughs> and his latest book is Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen. Donald, it's a treat. Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks for having me. I love the name of the podcast, too. It couldn't be more true. You know, uh, Michael Hyatt uh, doesn't know this, I don't believe, but he actually inspired it. The first time I ever heard the phrase, uh, leaders read and readers lead, uh, was from him. Yeah. Uh, that that inspired the title. So I just kind of truncated it a little bit. Hopefully it tells a good story, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first I want to ask, what has clarifying your message and, and stumbling across the, the story brand framework done for you uh, and your clients? Well, we personally, I, I created the framework because I had a conference business mm. and it wasn't growing. So I had millions of people reading my books, but only 350 people were showing up at each conference. So I took ownership of that and realized that there should be way more people here. Even the surveys for the conference are, are rated very high. And I fell into thinking like a lot of business leaders do, you know, if you, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> which is the biggest lie ever. <laughs> uh, if you build it, uh, they won't come unless you tell them to come, right? And right. so we, we, we hadn't created any sort of messaging strategy. We, we just had a, a website and you know some emails to invite people to come. And uh, I thought, I've got to give people the words to use so that they can spread word about my brand. I've got to help people understand mm. why it is that, you know, they should come to this conference. And so uh, I was away in a cabin in Asheville, North Carolina for five weeks writing a book. And the first couple days, I was just going to kind of warm up my brain, my writing brain, <laughs> by clarifying my message about my conference company. That turned into weeks of creating the story brand framework. I just kind of got obsessed with it. And I used the elements of story because story is the most powerful tool to captivate a human brain. And I came away with seven aspects of, uh, of, of story that are alive in almost every story you you hear or every movie you go see, mm. which tells me this is a universal language that human beings speak. I filtered my brand message through those seven elements, and that gave me such incredible clarity about what to say on my website, what to say in my email blast, what to say in my elevator pitch. And we immediately grew from 350 people to 970. We had mm. to go to a different theater uh, with about 1,400, if I remember correctly, seats. We sold that out months before the conference actually took place. We went to a theater in Chicago with 2,400 seats, and I spent zero extra dollars on my advertising. And, and that was a giant wake-up call for me. I realized that there's an enormous competitive advantage in the marketplace if you can say very quickly what it is that you do in such a way that everybody who hears you says, I need that. And if you, if we can't do that, which is not what most of us are doing, I would say 90% of the businesses who come to StoryBrand, they're communicating in such a confusing way that nobody can really understand why they would need your product or service. Uh, we're elusive. We're vague. We're trying to communicate too many things. We make the story about ourselves rather than about our customers. There are just some common mistakes that we make. So after uh, you know achieving a lot of success with the framework in my own business, I opened the doors and said, you know, I'm willing to teach this to any other business. And I thought it would be a fun career pivot. But honestly, it was a pipe dream. You know, I'm a memoirist and now I'm going to go do business <laughs> messaging, you know, uh, consulting. Mm. And to my shock, even before we could get a website, we had uh, consulted with uh, Procter & Gamble, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, the White House uh, in the Obama administration. Mm. We consulted with Ford Lincoln. We consulted with uh, every division of Chick-fil-A. And I realized pretty quickly this is actually what I prefer doing. You know, I was working on my eighth memoir, and if you write your eighth memoir, you're, you're a clinical narcissist for <laughs> sure. So I was trying to avoid that and ended up uh, 
pivoting to story brand and it, it just took off on us. Wow. It, it talk about confirmation, uh, on that decision for sure. So what I'm hearing you say is, is this is the reason why many businesses fail their inability to wrap their head around telling their, their story. Well, there are a number of reasons. Yeah, sure. sure businesses fail, bad product, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But I think if you got a great product, you have great people, uh, and, uh, you know, you have great processes to scale up your business, but mm. it's not growing. If you have those three things, but it's still not achieving the results that you want, it is probably a positioning problem. You're mm. probably not explaining your product well. You know, I'm not kidding. When I go to 90% of, of companies' websites, they're elusive. You know, they say things like, um, trust is the commodity we exchange. <laughs> well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's some sort of elusive piece of poetry that... Mm. You know, if you would have just said, you know, we sell dental floss for your cat, you'd sell more dental floss because <laughs> now I know what you offer. And so, you know, it's it's very, you had to, just have to be very clear and used to, and you remember this, Jeff, it wasn't very long ago that you could be really creative and stand out in the marketplace. Mm. And that's not true anymore. That has shifted in the last 10 to 15 years because everybody has Instagram and Facebook and we've all have these, these unbelievably powerful computers that mm. allow us all to be incredibly creative. And, and you're seeing the collective genius of, of, of humanity demonstrated online every day. Well, now we're being deluged with creativity. And so what stands out when you're being deluged with creativity? Crystal clear messages. Mm. This is what we offer. This is what's in it for you. And, you know, as evidence of this, think about the inability for people to think in a nuanced way. You know, Jeb Bush wrote a book on immigration that mm. hardly anybody knows about, but he wrote a book before he ran for president on immigration. And Donald Trump, uh, if you ask what his immigration plan is, is build a wall. Mm. So here's a guy who actually sat down and thought through it and researched and wrote a book on it versus a guy who came up with a slogan that, that, is, that is patently absurd. Mm. And he, he won the White House. It, it, and so we, there's something to learn from that uh, for us as business leaders. We've mm. got to boil down our, our company's message to sound bites that we repeat over and over and over. And that's the only way to brand yourself in your customer's subconscious and in their conscious mind. It's the only way to do it. And so when we talk about things 50 different ways, you know, I don't know if you've ever branded a cow. I have a buddy who took me out to his ranch and we branded <laughs> cattle one day. You kind of lay over the back of that calf and you, mm. you, it's an electric prod that you, you, you put on the back of the calf. Thankfully, they have a pain tolerance that's different than mine because they kind of just <laughs> went, hey, what's that? And, um, but if, you know, if I were to take a different rancher's brand and put it over the top of that brand and a different rancher's brand and put it over the top of that brand, nobody would know whose cow that belongs to or who's, mm. who, you know, who's, who, who's, whose possession that is. I think it's the same way with so much of our branding. You know, we're just mm. saying things differently. We're saying things in an elusive way. We're saying things. So the majority of the people that we interact with or who interact with our marketing collateral don't really understand what problem we can help them solve. And if we haven't made that clear, we, we shouldn't expect to do any business. But here's the beautiful thing about the opportunity. It's the easiest thing to fix. <laughs> I mean, if you already have marketing collateral, it doesn't cost any more to go back and change the text on your website. I, I can't count how many clients we have now who have spent in excess of six figures on marketing that has shrunk their business. Wow. And they'll, they'll take that, all that collateral and they'll spend another 500 to $3,000 and they'll double revenue mm -hmm. because they use different words. And the people buy things because they read words that make them want to buy mm -hmm. things. And that's what StoryBrand is all about, helping you figure out what to say to grow your business. 
Well, I want to give you a chance in just a moment to expound a bit on the framework. Uh, I think one of the best examples from the book on this you know, message simplification idea is the, the pre-ousting of Steve Jobs at Apple and the nine-page New York Times ad for the Lisa computer and how poorly that did versus what we all know once he came back as the Think Different campaign. Right. Yeah. If you think about Jobs before he left and worked at Pixar and or owned Pixar and, and also Next Computers, mm. Steve was a tech geek. I mean, he was interested in the hardware and he released a nine page ad, as you mentioned, in the New York Times to for his computer, Lisa, that spelled out all the technical features and details of, of the computer. Mm. Well, as you can imagine, that's that that bombed. And uh, he was ousted, never thrown out of Apple, but he was put in a building by himself. So he, he saw the writing on the wall and left, started next, uh, heavily invested in Pixar, bought that away from George Lucas. And the only thing that was making money at Pixar were these animated commercials. You know, he, he bought Pixar because it was a hardware company. He had no mm -hmm. interest in making movies. But these animated commercials started making money. It's the first thing he'd done that had made money in 10 years. <laughs> and uh, John Lasseter was over there doing that. And... Um, Steve went over to him and said, keep doing this. And Disney came over with a, a script called Toy Story that made <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars. And finally, Steve had cash flow. Well, not only did he have cash flow, he was now CEO of the best storytelling mm. you know, workshop of, in the world and uh, in the history of the world, in my opinion. Mm. And he learned some things. He learned to keep things very clear, make sure the story is always about the hero. Uh, he learned uh, to give people an aspirational identity that they can step into because they want that even more than your product. Mm. They want you to tell them who they can become and they want you to sell them that vision. And your product is just a tool they can use to become a different human being. He learned all that and you know grew Apple to one of the largest companies in the world because of that. And so, you know, that's huge. But, uh, but I want to go back to that nine-page ad in the New York Times. And this mm. is huge for your listeners. Anybody who's trying to pitch a vision or trying to get people to follow them or trying to sell something or trying to grow a company, this is huge. What Steve, the, the mistakes that Steve made with that nine-page ad in the New York Times happened because he didn't understand how the human brain actually worked. Mm. There are two things that the human brain is always trying to do. The first thing is, is it's trying to survive and thrive. It's the dominant thought process of the human brain. You know, we want to eat uh, drink water, have shelter over our head, uh, find a mate who will nurture us emotionally and spiritually, mm. involve ourselves with a tribe, and we think we, we love our friends. What we really are doing primitively is involving ourselves with a tribe who will fight with us in case barbarians come over the hill. <laughs> you know, this is why tribalism exists. Mm. You know, and of course, there's a downside to it. There's all these problems that happen because of tribalism. All of that you know, goes into this idea of I'm just trying to survive and thrive. And what that means for us as brands, as leaders, is you have to pitch your message as something that will help your customers survive and thrive. So as they're listening to you talk and you say, well, my grandfather started the company 20 years ago and we're trying to double revenue and we're trying to increase our great places to work metric – your your mm. customers are sitting there listening to you talk and they're and they're mm. yeah they're they're going to sleep <laughs> they're burning calories trying to understand what it is that you offer to them and at some point their survival mechanism will say this guy is offering me nothing and so i'm going to begin to ignore them as a way of surviving that's why people bounce from our websites don't open our emails skim through our ads and don't respond are not giving us any time at all and that goes into the second thing the brain is trying to do. The first thing is trying to survive and thrive. The second thing the brain is always doing is it's burning calories. And, and I li literally mean physically it's burning calories. 
You know, anybody who's ever studied for the bar exam or something like that knows you come away exhausted when all you did was sit in a chair all day. Mm. Well, you actually didn't just sit in a chair all day. You ran a marathon in your brain. <laughs> and so too many companies are, you know, the big two mistakes that a company can make or a leader can make. One, you don't associate your message with something that will help your audience survive and thrive. And two, you make them burn so many calories to understand it, they check out. And again, I go back to these political analogies. Hillary Clinton wanted to do 120 things with America. You know, she gave us a volume discount, right? <laughs> and Trump said, I just want to make America great again. It was the message that had to do with our survival mm. and the message that didn't cause us to have to burn very many calories to understand it that won the day. Mm. And, and so we've, we've got to do that sort of thing with our brand. Donald, in, in your experience uh, working with, you know, 3,000 plus leaders a year, what are, what are some of the common objections you hear from, from businesses and leaders when presenting some of these ideas? Well, the, the big one is it's not so much an objection. They just keep slipping back into the same mistake. Ah. Um, they become elusive. They, they, they choose a message that is cute. If you follow me on Instagram, every once in a while, I'll snap a picture of an in-flight magazine ad or, or a billboard mm. and just explain why it's absolutely absurd and explain the difference between what they were trying to do mm. and what actually people heard. Uh, you know, for instance, we consulted a little bit with Jeb Bush's team when, when it was, after it was too late, about six weeks before South Carolina primary. We did help get them from 3% to 10% in the polls because wow. they took some of our advice. But by then it was too late. And if you look at Jeb Bush's website before StoryBrand, it was completely different after. It was much better. But before StoryBrand, it was just a pic an old picture of him. Uh, his, his hair is blowing in the wind. There's some sort of maybe an American flag behind him. And it just says a governor's story. And then it says 1999 to 2007. Well, I, from his perspective, he's trying to introduce himself to America, mm -hmm. differentiate from his brother. But what did people see when they went to that website? They saw, okay, this is a story about you. Mm. Apparently, you're an old politician. You were born in 1999 and died in 2007. You're the youngest governor in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, it's just absurd. <laughs> so what he was actually communicating was not what anybody was hearing. And then all over his buses and billboards all over America, he had the words, Jeb can fix it. Well, Jeb can fix it. That's a story about you. That's not a story about me. And mm. the biggest paradigm shift in the entire story brand framework is never make the story about you. It's all about your customer. So people come to us all the time. They say, Don, can you help us get our story out there? And used to, I would explain, no, that's not what we do. Anymore, I just say, yes, you know, come see me. In the first five minutes, I explain that if you try to get your story out there, you're going to lose money. The only thing a customer cares about is their own story. So what you do is, instead of telling your story, you invite them into a story. You say, look, we are a brand that is tired of people having to deal with this pain and frustration. And we have a plan to help them no longer have to deal with that so that they can live this beautiful life. And you explain the components of that. There are seven of them. And people love it. I mean, they, they finally find a brand. Apple's done it. Coca-Cola's done it. Home Depot's done it. Chick-fil-A does a masterful job with it. If you get to a multi-billion dollar brand that's a success, you're going to find a brand that doesn't talk about itself. They talk about their customers. And great sign of an amateur brand. You know, I would never invest in a company's stock if they talked all the time about themselves. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, that's just not what the customer is looking for. You know, the idea here is you create very, a very clear narrative that you're inviting your customer to live. You just see dramatic success when you, when you understand that pivot. 
let's let's talk a little bit more about that that narrative about the the framework itself. You've hinted obviously at some of this, but give us sort of a if you would, Don, a thirty thousand foot view of of the seven part framework, and in the process, uh, ruin every movie we'll ever see after this, <laughs> right? Well, I hope not. I, I mean, I, I my wife doesn't want to go to movies with me anymore because uh, I elbow her, you know, about. 30 minutes in saying, Hey, that guy dies next, you know, <laughs> because they are, they are based on formulas and, and this is going to shock your audience. There are only seven of them, Jeff. Mm. There are only seven movie formulas. They're all the same. I mean, uh, <laughs> star Wars is the same movie as Tommy boy. <laughs> Mary Poppins is the same movie as Paddington bear. Mm. You just replace the characters, replace the conflict, change up the obligatory scene, and, and you got a different movie. But if you know the formulas, you know what's going to happen. Mm. Well, the, the seven-part story brand framework is not about helping you, you know, uh, tell a story or write a screenplay. It's about helping you invite customers into a story. But it, it works like this. The first thing that you have to have, you have to define something your hero wants. Mm. That's the first thing that happens. It happens within the first three to nine minutes of a movie. Nine minutes is a really long time. It's got to happen way before that. But, you know, once the, we define what our character wants, the story gets started. And the question is posited in the audience's brain, is this character going to get what they want? And that's what keeps you paying attention for 90 minutes. What that means for us is we've got to define something our customer wants. Our, our brand needs to be known for providing something that our customer desires. And they've got to know, you know, when you want a good computer, you go to Apple. You know, when you want... To save money on car insurance, you go to Geico when you want, you know, mm -hmm. on and on and on. If we're not known for that, we have not posited a story question in our customer's brain and that they're going to have no magnetism toward us because we haven't opened a story loop that they are trying to close. We have to define what that customer wants. And then there are two mistakes that brands make when they define what their customer wants. And interestingly, they're the same mistakes amateur screenwriters make. Mm. One is, as we've already talked about, they're too vague. Right. They're too vague. So, you know, if I said... Jeff, you know, you want to go to the movies this afternoon? There's this great new movie about this guy who's trying to find uh, hope. <laughs> Don, that doesn't sound... Can you tell me more, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so if, if, uh, if you're at a cocktail party and says, what do you do for a living? You know, I work for a company that provides hope. Well, that, you know, whatever. You're trying to get out of that conversation at that right. point. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we, we can't be too vague. The other thing, this is a bigger mistake that companies make. They define too many things. And if I, if I go to see a movie and I'm introduced to this character, Jason Bourne, and Jason Bourne wants to know who he is, who he really is, that's a good story question. But he also wants to lose 30 pounds. You know, he's trying to lose weight. And then, he's, uh, and then he wants to marry the girl, and he's thinking about adopting a cat. What you've done then by defining too many things that Jason Bourne wants is you've asked the audience, hey, would you guys mind sitting here in the theater and burning a truckload of calories while I tell you the story? And the audience at some point just goes, man, I didn't come here to think. I came here to eat candy, <laughs> sit in an air-conditioned room, and be entertained. And so they're not going to buy it. And so, you know, with our brands, when we say – you know, we offer this, 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 and this. It, it just doesn't work. It, you're, we're asking our customers to think too much. So let me give you an example of how you could break it down, though, because I hear, I hear your listeners right now yelling at me saying, but we offer 25 things, you know, and <laughs> I, I understand. You know, our friend Dave Ramsey here in Nashville has a wonderful business, and, and he offers, you know, mortgages and software to help you run your finances. He offers conferences that you can attend. He offers books that you can read, uh, all sorts of things. But he boils it down to one thing that all of that fits in the category of, and, and that is financial peace. Mm. 
So he's known for offering financial peace, and he can do that in a myriad of ways, but he has a clear brand message because he offers that one thing that sort of ties everything up in a bow. That is very smart branding. And I think mm-hmm. Dave just naturally has a good narrative mind. He just kind of gets this intuitively. But that's the sort of thing we need to do. We need to understand that, that there's one thing that our company offers, and, and we need to be known for it. The, the next thing that happens in a story is we can't give the character what they want, right? The story would be over. Mm. If... Uh, Liam Neeson, we realize he's got to suddenly disarm this bomb. And so he rushes into the room and he disarms the bomb. <laughs> well, that's a short movie. <laughs> so we got to keep him from being able to disarm the bomb. So the movie really lives in the problem. And the problem is what makes the movie work. And you, you, you don't let the hero get what they want for 90 minutes to two hours until the final scene. What, what we can learn from that is, as brand leaders is... The only reason that people are coming to our website, the only reason that people are walking through our retail door, the only reason that people are calling us is because we solve a problem and we've got to define what that problem is. Now, I get into the book, Building a Story Brand. I get into the three levels of problems that you need to uh, elaborate on in your marketing messages to create raving fans. But right now, just know you got to define a problem that you solve. That's what you're known for. The next thing that happens in a movie is the hero is despondent. They have this problem that they can't get over. And so since the days of Aristotle and Plato, storytellers have introduced another character to the story. And that story, at StoryBrand, we just call that character the guide. Mm. And the guide is Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Haymitch, Gandalf. It's a character that exists for the sole purpose of helping the hero win the day. And the biggest paradigm shift, as I've already talked about in the StoryBrand framework, is never play the hero, always play the guide. And when you play the guide, you're playing the character that your customer is looking for. When you play the hero, you're playing the character that your customer subconsciously contends with because they believe there's a scarcity of resources and they're a hero. So if they're a hero and you're a hero and there are a scarcity of resources, they discount you. So when we stand up to say, here's my story, my grandfather started the company, you are literally turning your customer off. But when you stand up and say, hey, what's, you know, when they say, what do you do for a living? You say, well, you know, a lot of people struggle with leadership. They were thrown into leadership and they have to lead a group of people. They don't know how to do it. And so I have a podcast and it helps people understand how to lead so that their teams thrive and they experience a sense of sanity. Well, my goodness, you know, if you're any kind of leader, you're going, that's a, wow, I didn't, you know, I never even heard of that. Where do I get this podcast? I'm glad I'm recording this. (laughs) (laughs) And so so you want to position yourself as the guide and that's how you do it. You empathize with your customer's problem. There are two things you need to do to position yourself as the guide and, you know, they're in the book. The, the, plan is next. The guide actually gives the hero a plan. And it's usually a three or four step plan that they can execute in order to win the day. And the purpose of the plan in your brand messaging is to make sure that everybody understands it's extremely simple to do business with you. Hmm. Because they will, at this point in the story that you're inviting them into, they will say, this is too hard. And they'll make an excuse and they'll walk away. So you say, you know, it's not very hard. You just do step one, step two, and step three. And they say, well, I have no excuses. You know, I should go do this. And they do it. And so I get into this whole chapter on how to create effective plans to entice customers to do business with you. Then next, you call them to action. There must be a direct call to action. We we have to ask for the business. And this is where there's so much opportunity for so many of the people listening right now. If I go to your website, and at the top right of your website, there is not one obvious button to press that says something like buy now or mm. schedule an appointment. You're losing money. You've probably got a cluttered grouping of links at the top right of your website. And I say top right because that's the dominant real estate. It's where the eye bounces off of mm. naturally as somebody scans a website. We need to know that you, you, you want our money in exchange for the, the resolution of a problem. 
And when we sell passively, we think we're being polite. We think we're saying, look, I, I don't want to bother you, but I do have this podcast that I think could really help. And uh, But again, you know, we think we're being polite. But what the customer actually hears is, hey, I have a podcast. I really don't believe in it. I don't believe that I can solve your problem, but I'd love the charity of you listening to it. And maybe you can give me something that would make me feel good about myself. That's not a sales, that's not a sales script, right? So we, we have to call people to action very clearly. There are two kinds of call to action that I get into the book that are, are magical. And one of them grew our business from a quarter million to this year we'll do 5.6. Next year we'll do 12 million. And it was one call to action. By the way, we went from, in three years, we went from quarter million to, to we'll do 12 million next year. So in four years, with um, $0 spent in advertising. <laughs> That's amazing. We don't do any advertising because yeah. our customers actually advertise for us because our message is so clear they can repeat it. Mm. Then after the call to action, the story has to either end in a success or failure. So this is element six and seven of the seven-part framework. Mm. We have to give a people a vision for what their lives can look like if they buy our product. They have to, we have to show them in our marketing collateral, your life can look this way. We have to tell them through testimonials or, or other methods this is what your life can look like. But we also have to say, if you don't buy my product or service, life can look very bad for you. Mm. And you say, well, it's a little heavy handed, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it may sound heavy handed, but mm. you know, again, if Liam Neeson gets a call while he's going to rescue his daughter and the call says, hey, that bomb that she's strapped to in that warehouse in London is a dud. It's actually not going to hurt her <laughs> when it goes off. Well, you just removed the stakes from this story. Right. And there's no reason to keep watching the movie. So if we remove the stakes of the story that we're inviting customers into, if there's nothing negative that can happen to them if they don't do business with us, there's absolutely no reason to do business with us. You just ruined the story. Mm. And you see these, you know, this is one of the reasons that, you know, the manipulation in the media is so annoying because they'll take some <laughs> minor trivial issue. And they'll make it sound like the end of the world. Why? Because they're trying to get people to pay attention. Mm. So I'm not suggesting that we be manipulative, but I am suggesting if there is anything negative, if there's a negative consequence to not doing business with you, spell it out and say it because it will, it will add intrigue to the story. I heard the phrase early in the conversation, Don, aspirational identity. I was wondering if you could define that a little more descriptively and how that connects then to this identity transformation process. Yeah, absolutely. The, there's a whole chapter in the book on aspirational identity. And I would argue that what your customers want more than your product, I mean, anybody listening, doesn't matter what your product is, mm. they want you to participate in the, their transformation into a better version of themselves. That's what every story is really about. Every story has a, a weak, uh, disqualified, unskilled, filled with self-doubt hero, unwilling to take this journey, who's forced into the action. That over the course of 90 minutes to two hours, transforms them into a completely different person. Mm. And that is what human, that we, we like stories because we like that. We like those transformations. Mm. So brands that participate in your transformation tend to win. Apple identified the pre-aspirational identity as for, of their customer as a, a misfit, somebody who's misunderstood, not heard. But then they help them transform into a secret genius who, who they see genius where you see misfit. And they said, hey, we participate in a better version of yourself. And that's not very difficult to do in your brand message. You know, For us, the aspirational identity for anybody who comes to a story brand marketing workshop or goes through our framework, we want them to leave a marketing ninja they, they would literally go back to their office after two days with us 
and everybody would be shocked because they're walking through the office saying, that's a stupid email. Why would you ever say that on a website? This is a dumb brochure. That's a waste of money. Pull down our billboards. They're ridiculous. And everybody's going, where did you, were you off at Harvard for two years? How did you figure this out? And, uh, and we, we deliver on that. I mean, people leave our workshops and they are marketing ninjas. They're somewhat cocky. We have to work on that. We can't get big heads about this. But, uh, you know, it works. And the other thing it does is it dramatically raises the perceived value of your product. Mm. Dramatically. You know, Gerber Knives, a knife company out of Portland, Oregon, sells pocket knives twice as much as the average pocket knife, mm. knife maker. Because they sell an identity of somebody who loves adventure and is not afraid to take chances and is equipped when the time comes. Well, you know, I was just at Home Depot the other day and I saw these Gerber knives and after studying their campaign, I mean, I studied their campaign, Jeff. I know what they're trying to do to my brain and it still didn't work. I'm still like, I'm going to buy that knife. And my, my executive brain said to my, you know, squirrel brain, what do you need a knife for? You're a writer, right? You, the last time you used a knife, you made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I thought, I don't care. I'm going to buy this knife. Spent 50 bucks on the knife. Well, you know, did they rip me off? No, they didn't rip me off. They sold me an identity. They sold me a better version of myself that I could step into. And there's real tangible value to that. This is an opportunity for everybody listening for their companies to just explode when they offer something besides their product that they're associating with their product. And that is an aspirational identity that their customers can step into and become better versions of themselves. It's, it's unbelievably enticing for an audience to be invited into that. They, they, will, they will want that from you. And this, this whole process and, and really getting to the nitty gritty and simplifying the message becomes all the more important when, uh, I think as the book alludes, you know, 100 years ago, our attention spans were about 20 minutes and, and today we're on par with goldfish at about seven seconds, last I said, right? <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions, Don, I want to ask you, uh, not directly related to the book, but before I do that, is there anything else from the book you'd like to make sure that we know? Uh, the book is available now on Amazon. It's called Building a Story Brand. There is a software component to the book. So these seven categories... Once you get the book, you can actually go online and we've created free software and you just type your brand message into this free software and you will look at a story grid. It's, it's actually fantastic storytelling uh, mm. software, but you'll look at the story that you're inviting customers into. And the beauty of seeing that on one single page, the, the software guides you through the process of creating is next time you're at a cocktail party, you start talking about your brand. People are going to want your business card. And next time you create a website or just edit the text on your existing website, you're going to see many more people placing orders because they finally understand uh, the story that you are inviting them into. So the book is building a story brand. If you go to mystorybrand.com, you can actually use the free software online. The book helps you understand the software, but you can actually go create an account and play with it right now. Mm, awesome. Awesome tool. Thank you for that. I want you to think, Don, about uh, the books you've read over the last few years or, or spanning your lifetime even. What would you say are the two or three titles that, that immediately come to mind as having had the biggest impact on you? Well, that's a great question. I just read The Gatekeepers, mm. and, I, and I can't remember the gentleman's name who wrote it. But it was, it's a nonfiction book about the history of the chief of staff in the White House mm. from Nixon through, there's a little addendum that covers Trump, uh, but mainly it's Nixon through uh, Obama. And that was a fascinating book about power of good decisions and the power of bad decisions to affect millions and millions of people. And about personalities working together and working under pressure and the 
chain, the importance of chain of command when you're dealing with uh, leadership, the importance of, you know, we saw a huge shift, you know, as soon as I saw John Kelly was taking over as chief of staff for Donald Trump, I thought this, this is going to change things. And I actually said to my, my wife, uh, Scaramucci had, you know, had come on maybe two weeks before. And uh, I, I knew who John Kelly was because I'd watched his Homeland Security confirmation mm. in, in, in Congress. And uh, the guy is a sharp, sharp guy, and he's a no-nonsense guy. And I, I turned to my wife and said, Scaramucci won't last 48 hours. And he was gone within 24. She's like, how did you know that? I was like, I just watched that confirmation. That dude is not going to put up with that dude. That's <laughs> not going to happen. And he, he controlled, uh, he began to control the information that mm. Trump was receiving. And you know, there's just a lot to learn there. There's so many lessons that you can pull out. What, what am I letting myself read? Who am I giving access to me as a leader? We, we had something of an absurd first four months of mm. Trump's presidency. I mean, I don't know how, uh, the way to describe it. And uh, chief of staff changed that. And, and I'm hopeful for this administration that it can figure some things out. Mm. I think the tact that, you know, we can go into other things, you know, but so that was the last book I read. And then um, before that, I read a book called Psycho Cybernetics. I feel like I'm the last one to read it. It's been around 30 years and 20 million people have read it. Uh, <laughs> but it's a book about the power of the subconscious and how it, it it's a great look at self-motivation, but really I looked at it from a marketing perspective. And then if, if I may, my favorite book of all time is actually Man's Search for Meaning mm. by Viktor Frankl. It was a life-changing book for me. I'm reading it now. It's it's wonderful. I mean, I, I hope you're enjoying it. It's probably the fifth time you've read it. I, again, I, I just discovered it <laughs> five, seven years ago, but that's a, that's a book to come back to over and over and over again. Well, don't assume, Don. <laughs> I'm actually reading it for the first time. I've had so many people recommend it here on the show, and I thought, you know, I've got to, I've got to get around to reading this book. So I, I just yeah. bought it a, a couple of weeks ago. Well, let me uh, ask finally, Donald, uh, with the book just out, uh, I know things are busy. You've got workshops happening all the time. If you know or can share, what's what's next for you? What are you and your team working on now that you're excited about? Oh, you know, uh, I've been able to, with StoryBrand, you know, we have 3,000 businesses come through every year, and I've been able to kind of cherry pick some folks that I've helped with their messaging. And there's been a few uh politicians, Governor Haslam here in Tennessee, wonderful, wonderful governor. Uh, mm. I, I heard yesterday he might think about running for Senate, and I hope he does, uh, Bob Corker's seat, but was able to help him uh, message his final 18 months through a campaign called Tennessee Will Lead. And then before that, was able to help uh, an economic think tank create something that I actually coined the term circulation economy mm. that sort of takes our, our GDP right now is 40% in the financial sector, and under Nixon, it was 11%. So we're becoming a country that just basically trades on money. And that's very dangerous for manufacturing jobs. And so worked with that think tank on, on helping them figure that out. Working with all these think tanks, as crazy as it sounds, you put some of these policies together, you know, with Betsy DeVos over at Education. We worked with her for a couple of days before she became Secretary of Education. Mm. You put all this stuff together and I realized, oh, there's a worldview here. There's a plan, a strategy that America could actually follow to decrease the national debt, create manufacturing jobs, take mm. middle-class family income from, under Nixon, it was $83,000 a family. Mm. Adjusted for inflation, it is now $63,000 mm. a family. So the middle class is hurting, mm. and it, it just doesn't have to. And so uh, so I'm, right, I'm, I'm working on research for a book called America Will Lead about how America can stay uh, the dominant influence in the world through the end of the 21st century. Three people will probably read that book, but for me, it's it's very fun to do the research and to actually try to try to write it. Well, uh, I've enjoyed this immensely. I, I asked myself earlier this week, how do you follow a conversation with Alan Alda 
Uh, and the first the first name that came to mind was Donald Miller. Well, I, I, I don't want to follow Alan all that. You should not have put me in that position. <laughs> well, it ties in quite nicely, uh, actually, uh, for you to follow well, him. Amazing. His book is all about the art and science of relating and communicating. Oh, very nice. And so I, I think that's a, that's a nice, uh, nice follow-up. So thank you, Donald, for this. The book, again, is Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message, so customers will listen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I certainly got a lot out of this conversation, uh, as well as the book, and I do strongly recommend it if you need help clarifying your message. The links and resources uh, Donald mentioned uh, can be found at the show notes page created, especially for this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 185 for episode 185. I don't know what it is, but we've had a flurry of five-star ratings and reviews in iTunes for Read to Lead the last uh, couple of weeks. I want to say thanks to Retail MBA with a five-star rating and review. Also, The Kim Sutton, uh, plus K.E. Wild, Overthinker John, Tom Singer, and Mariko, all leaving five-star ratings and reviews. Thanks to each and every one of you. If you'd like to do the same, you can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes and do that right now. We'd certainly appreciate it. Do remember our sponsor making this podcast possible, and that is cloud accounting software FreshBooks with that free 30-day trial. FreshBooks.com slash lead for more info on that. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you, as always, next time for the next episode of the Read Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.